Where will we go today, my dear ones? And what will we find out about ourselves along the way? These were the words that my grandmother would often use to greet my sisters, my three sisters and me, when we joined her in her sitting room for reading time. She would sit in her soft, coral-covered chaise, and we would take our customary places around her on the floor. Where will we go today, my dear ones, and what will we find out about ourselves along the way? My grandmother took us on pilgrimages each and every time she read to us. Whether it was forays into Mr. McGregor's garden and the Beatrix Potter books, or along punting along the river with Rat and Mole and Mr. Toad and Kenneth Graham's Wind in the Willows, or venturing through the looking glass with Alice, she would always be making observations and asking questions. Well, she would say, when Mr. Toad had been particularly selfish yet again, what do you think about that? Or she might ask, do you think you can think about impossible things? After reading about the Queen telling Alice she believed in as many as six impossible things before breakfast. As we got older, there would be different adventures and different questions as we followed my grandmother's passion for archaeology and were off to Egypt to hear about Howard Carter unearthing Tutankhamun's tomb or Arthur Schliemann's discovery of Troy, followed by a version, her own version, of, of Homer's Odyssey. What a wonderful voyage of discovery. My, my, my grandmother was a deeply curious and a person and a voracious reader. She graduated from Wellesley College in 1914 and patched together an unusual resume that included a stint as an innkeeper and one as a comparison shopper for one of the large department stores in, in the greater Boston area. She and my grandfather ran a truck farm in South Acton in the 20s, sending asparagus and strawberries, among other things, into the markets in Boston. She was a weaver and would often be found working her large loom on a project for the home or to be offered up for the next Arts and Crafts Society event. Growing up, I really didn't see, really didn't understand how critical she was to making our home such a wonderful place. Oh, we all loved and appreciated her. Aside from reading to us, she would always be there when we needed someone to talk to or who offered a quiet presence when we just needed sanctuary but didn't necessarily want to be alone. She was the one who stayed in contact with the extended family across the country and who enjoyed filling in the holes in the family genealogy. Not only did she give us a sense of history and place, but she imbued in us all a sense of both curiosity and wonder. She really was the invisible glue that made our family hum. There were eight of us. Me, my three sisters, all of them older. My mom and dad and my grandparents, my dad's parents. And somehow over the course of 22 years, there was rarely a discouraging word. In that regard, we were all spoiled. And in hindsight, I attribute that much of that success to my grandmother, who relinquished the running of the house to my parents, but whose sense of self allowed her to step forward confidently when there was a role to be filled, but who was willing to step back 
into the role of grandparent when everything was running well. She was a wonderful role model. Toward the end of her life, when her eyesight was such that she could no longer read even the large print books and would never adapt to audio technology, I often read to her when I visit. Usually I'd read something current, but sometimes I'd go back into her old repertoire and read her the books that she had read to us. She and I had a great time going back over the adventures of Winnie the Pooh. I remember once beginning with her old invitation, where will we go today, my dear one, and what will we learn about ourselves along the way? And I launched right into the book of the week. After a while, I looked up to see her reaction to something I'd just read and saw in her gaze that she was somewhere else. When I asked where she was, she smiled. She traveled a bit, but had never taken those dreamed-about trips to the lands of the pyramids or of Homer's epics. But she said to me that day, we certainly had some wonderful journeys together, didn't we? My grandmother loved the journey. Her heart beat for the possibilities that opened up in each moment, in each encounter. She was the consummate pilgrim, even if the pilgrimage was only out to the flower garden to dig in the dirt. There would be something to discover along the way, something meaningful to learn something to report back and to teach. In The Art of Pilgrimage, The Seeker's Guide to Making Travel Sacred, author Phil Cousineau writes, For millennia, the cry in the heart for embarking on a meaningful journey has been answered by pilgrimage, a transformative journey to a sacred center. From their beginnings, each and every faith tradition has called on its followers to occasionally shift themselves out of the everyday and journey to holy sites associated with gods or saints or heroes, to natural settings imbued with spiritual power, or to, or to revered temples to seek counsel, to follow the fat paths of the great ones who walked in search of their enlightenment. And from those same early beginnings, what has been common to all successful pilgrims is the sense of awakened wonder. The long and wearying way carries them through strange land filled with stranger people, allowing them to experience the wider world. Some of the first and only times they ever ventured forth in their lives. The constant sense of surprise and astonishment they found at the ever-changing scenery, weather, and habits of others were an as important to the as the perils that they had to overcome along the way. The pilgrim learns quickly that their old ways hold no currency on the road. They must make do with what becomes available each and every day. They are humbled both by the obstacles they must overcome and the sharing and caring of their fellow travelers. Parker Palmer, noted Quaker teacher and writer, loves the fact that the word humus, the decayed vegetable matter that feeds the roots of plants, comes from the same root that gives rise to that word humility. It's a blessed etymology. It helps us understand that the humility, humiliating events of life, the events that leave mud on our faces or that make our names mud, in those events... We learn something, and there is fertile soil for us to grow. 
But if we don't allow ourselves to be vulnerable, to get out of our chosen ruts and risk slipping a little in the mud, we take the much greater risk that the possibilities within us will never be fully expressed. Living as Thoreau suggests, but a fraction of our lives. What fraction of your life remains unborn within? Is there some still small voice within you crying for release? Something stirring inside that even now you can really not quite identify? Phil Cousineau suggests that when we no longer know where to turn, our really journey has just begun. At that crossroads moment, a voice calls us to our pilgrim soul. The time has come to set out for the sacred ground, the mountain, the temple, the ancestral home, some place that will store our heart and restore our sense of wonder. This is the journey we cannot not take. I was at a memorial service yesterday with a few hundred other folks remembering the life of a great old friend. He was another great pilgrim soul, living fully for 94 years. And for many years I had the great joy of sitting next to him and learning from him in the back bass section of the choir in Reading. One of his sons, who knew that his emotions would get the best of him if he tried to talk during the service, asked one of his friends to share a few lines. And one of those lines was attributed to to Jesus in the Gospel of Thomas. And it fits so well with this theme. Jesus said, If you bring forth what is within you, what you bring forth will save you. If you do not bring forth what is within you, what you do not bring forth will destroy you. And so often it requires an intentional effort on our part to release in some way from what Stephen Covey calls the thick of thin things and open up our hearts and minds to new insights. It doesn't have to be a solitary journey to a distant place. In fact, the pilgrim way is never really solitary. You may think you can travel alone. You may think you can do the inner work without benefit of guide or companion, but none of us exists in a vacuum. We are all on this journey together. This is the crux of the pilgrim way, the cultivation of the inward experience through each and every step along the outward road. Like Basho, we seek an intentionality that manifests itself in the art of seeing and noticing every little thing along the way. Basho writes in his haiku, All the more I wish to see in those blossoms at dawn the face of a god. To people the world over, pilgrimage was and is a spiritual exercise, an act of devotion, to find a source of healing or simply a new perspective. Always it is a journey of risk and renewal, for a journey without challenge has no meaning. One without purpose has no soul. In one of the many interviews that dot the path to ministry, I was once asked the interesting question of who the minister maker was in my family. And while it's never quite as simple as pointing to one person alone, there's no doubt that my grandmother Fisher 
was the one, the one without whom I would not be the person standing in front of you today. During that same visit that I talked about earlier, over 35 years ago, as our conversation deepened, my grandmother shared what was as close to a theology as she might have ever expressed, at least to me. Using the analogy of a weaver, she said that life is like a beautiful fabric that only you can create. The experience of your life are like the warp threads that run lengthwise. There's always something new and You don't always have control about what's coming next. But it's certain that your experiences will be different from those of anyone else's because you have wrapped those warp strings. Even though you may not be able to choose all the experiences along the path, you can choose how you respond to them. And your choices and decisions make up the weft threads of the fabric. But even then, it's important to understand and to be observant about the fabric. It's important to understand that while your hands are guiding that shuttle, other hands are there guiding your hands. There is much of the pilgrim's way in my grandmother's life and theology, a joy in the journey, an awareness and the interest in what unfolds at each step along the path, a willingness to make a detour if the possibility of learning and growth make the time or the risk worth the effort. Her particular obstacle was a 20-year relationship with pain in the form of osteoporosis. The robust 5'4", 132-pound grandmother I knew as a boy growing up was, by the time of her death, a 4-foot-something, 89-pound elf, but an elf with the same twinkle in her eye. The road is long, as the song goes, with many a winding turn. And as it was with the travelers on the old pilgrim routes, there is no guarantee of success. A life fully lived takes courage. And even then, not every path leads to a mountaintop. But there can be so many rewards and so many wonderful surprises along the way, especially if, as Basho suggests, we take every day as a journey and think of the journey itself as home. Where will we go today, my good friends, and what will we learn about ourselves along the way? It is a question always worth keeping in mind, a question I think about now every day. And so may it be for you. Blessed be. Amen.